All right. Um, okay. Like I said, we're going to be looking at Psalms for the rest of the semester. And I've kind of broken them down um, thanks to our uh, dear friends in the ministry um, called Poor Bishop Hooper, who they wrote a lot of songs. And actually, we're going to sing Psalm, their version of Psalm 1 after, after the, the sermon. But they, they kind of broke the Psalms down into seven different categories. And we're going to look at one Psalm from each one of these genres or categories. So, so wisdom, confidence, praise, thanksgiving, lament, kingship, and remembrance. Um, and so just kind of pick one, one Psalm that's going to highlight... Uh, each one of those things, um, but why would we why would we study the Psalms? Um, there there are a lot of reasons, um, but I'm going to think specifically about two. One one that I think is kind of more biblical, and then one that's kind of like more like anecdotal. Um, biblically, the Psalms are the songs of God's people. Uh, when the Israelites went to church, uh, these were the songs that they sang and the prayers that they prayed. And they would gather together to. Uh, to recite the Psalms back to God because the Psalms were their story. Um, the Psalms were the story of God's people from creation uh, to, the, to the law, to the establishment of the tabernacle, and then to the temple, and then to the establishment of the throne of David, and then to the exile. All with this undercurrent and this theme of longing for the Messiah that would come, that would fulfill all of these. These psalms also cover the full range of human emotion. If you read the psalms, you go from the highest of highs and exuberant joy and worship to, to the depths of just agony and despair to the point that if you heard someone say in church some of the things that David writes in the Psalter, you would be like, hey, bro, you just probably need to trust God more, right? And, and they cover everything in between. They, they, they teach us how to sing, how to pray, They teach us how to rejoice and repent. And uh, Tim Keller says that 65 books of the Bible speak to us, but the Psalms speak for us. So if you're ever struggling with prayer or finding the words to say to God in worship or in rejoicing or in remembrance or in, in confession and sadness and whatever else, if you're ever struggling with what to say to God, pick a number between 1 and 150, open the Psalms to that number, and then pray it back to God. That's what he's given them to us for. But anecdotally, I want you to think about this. Music forms us, songs form us and shape us in ways that nothing else does. Music helps us to communicate in ways that prose or even conversation sometimes can't do. Think about your favorite song. Like what's your favorite song you've ever heard? Um, And I'm going to guess that unless you're like Houston or Rebecca or Josh, your favorite song is not your favorite song because of the technical proficiency of the song, right? Your, your, your favorite song, and I don't know, maybe, maybe they're not music robots and they're human too. But, um, your, your favorite song is your favorite song not because of the structure of the song or the rhyme scheme or, uh, or even some of the instrumentation. Your favorite song is your favorite song because it connects with you on an emotional level. That you feel it... Um, to quote the great American philosopher Justin Timberlake, you feel it inside your bones, right? And, and I think about um, I, I, I like my like my favorite song in the entire world is a song called "The Bird Hunters" by this band called the Turnpike Troubadours. I've never talked about them before. You probably never heard of them, whatever. Um, no, I talk about them all the time. But I love that song. It's a beautiful song. It's very well written. But I love that song because because as I listen to it. 
I, a person from Mississippi who's been on one dove hunt in my entire life, can somehow connect to this random dude from Oklahoma who sings about going bird hunting with one of his friends after a failed relationship because of where it puts me and how it makes me connect. And I connect to that song on a deeply spiritual level in a way that like, I don't connect with any other songs. That's why it's my favorite song. It's captured my imagination and it's connected with me spiritually. And that's what the Psalms do for us. The Psalms invite us to engage with them, to sing them, to pray them. They connect us with God in ways that nothing else can. Eugene Peterson says, left to ourselves, we will pray to some God who speaks what we like hearing or to the part of God we manage to understand. But what is critical is that we speak to God, to the God who speaks to us and to everything that he speaks to us. What is essential in prayer is not that we learn to express ourselves, but that we learn to answer God. That as we read the Psalms, we read of people who throughout the history of God's people have written things that we can look and say, oh, wow, I'm not the only person that feels that way. And not only that, but like, since it's in the Bible, it gives you license to talk to God that way. Like, have you ever thought that it's okay to be frustrated with God? It's okay to be, dare I say, even angry with him. But if you read the Psalms, these are the things that you find. They inform us of who God is, but they also teach us how we are to respond to him. And so what we see in Psalm 1, Psalm 1 is a wisdom psalm. And this psalm is an invitation to living a life of wisdom. And it does this by showing us three things. It shows us the two paths of living, the two pictures of these paths, and then the two destinations of these paths. And so if you'd like to follow along, take notes, whatever, those are the, those are the points we're going to look through. So the first thing we see in verses one and two are the two paths of living. And look, we, let's acknowledge this, that we all hate either or situations. Like that's part of the fun of like doing the little thing on the name tag is like watch it. Like, Hey, we're giving you an either or, and you have to answer it. And like, Oh my gosh, like, did I say the right one? Like, Oh, what about this? And you try to qualify it like a million different ways. Um, and it's so fun to watch you do that, but we hate things that give us either or options. We like this idea that life can be whatever we want it to be, that we can sort of figure it out along the way and it's all going to end up okay in the end. And the Bible says, no, that's not how this works. The Bible says that there is a path that leads to life and there is a path that leads to death. But it's not to say that to choose the path of life is that you're going to end up uh, looking like the kind of average white evangelical with two and a half kids and a minivan and a white picket fence and uh, maybe a golden retriever or two. Um, But it is saying that there is a set path that leads to what we call the good life. There is one set path that leads to destruction. And these are the only options that you have. And Psalm 1 does this in a way that doesn't leave any ambiguity as to what the right choice is. You don't read Psalm 1 and walk away thinking like, well, I kind of think this path, you know. No, you walk away from Psalm 1 knowing exactly which is the right choice. And these two paths are the paths of the, uh, the blessed and the path of the wicked. Verse 1 shows us what this looks like. Um, this is the path of the wicked. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Who are these people? Who are the wicked, the sinners, and the scoffers? And, and the, I think the progression of this kind of helps us understand it. But 
the the wicked, right? You, you, you hear the wicked and you automatically think of like the bad guy in whatever movie you're thinking of, right? Like like when when Thanos shows up in the MCU and starts talking about like killing, uh, eliminating half of the universe, you're like, okay, that's sending us some red flags that this might not be a good dude, you know? And then after he does it, he's like, hey, I actually made a mistake. I should have killed all of y'all. So like if somebody shows up and starts talking about genocide, like, yeah, that's going to send off some red flags, right? Like generally a bad thing. But the wicked actually entails much more than that. Because biblically, the wicked are those who live their lives apart from the will of God. And I know this sounds harsh, but this is how the Bible presents it. Um, And so as we look at this, what we see is this progression from wicked to sinner to scoffer. Like this is the progression that sin often takes with us. And it's not necessarily this like hard and fast path that you end up this way. But but this idea of, of walking in the counsel of the wicked... Right? We begin to take counsel from the world. And taking counsel is a little bit more, I think it's a little bit more involved in like just taking advice or going and asking, hey, what do you think about this? But to take counsel from someone is to listen to them and to give weight to their opinion and to, um, and, and, and to actually take steps in the direction that they're asking you to go. That's a walk in the counsel of the wicked is, um, Psalm 1 here is warning us against letting the thinking of the world dictate our thinking. And to begin to think the way that the world does. Because that leads to standing in the way of sinners, which means that we begin to follow the world's ways. Your thinking will always begin to shape your actions. The things that you think about, the things that exist in your mind, they will eventually start to work their way out into the things that you do. Um, freshmen, we're studying the Sermon on the Mount this semester, and this is what Jesus is getting at. He starts to get at like these things of, of, of murder and adultery and, and, um, and these other things, like they, they, they begin with something that is inside of you that shape the way that you think, and then it comes out. But to stand in the way of sinners means that you are beginning to align yourself with what is evil. And then to sit in the seat of scoffers is when we become outright hostile to the things of God. And so the progression starts to look a little bit like this, that we, we take advice from the world, we take counsel from the world, and then we start to act like the world. And then we start to identify with the world. So the question here is, is simply this, who or what are you following? And, and, and it's, really easy, um, it's really easy to talk about like the world um, and this, these kind of like super nebulous ideas because like, I remember growing up, like the world was just like all the stuff that like we didn't like, you know, like our church boycotted everything growing up because like, I don't know, it was all the world, you know, the world is this kind of scary term, Right. But, but I think the simplest way to understand this is to quote, again, the great American philosopher uh, Jiminy Cricket from Pinocchio. Let your conscience be your guide. In other words, follow your heart. Do what makes you happy. Be, be true to yourself. But the contrast to this man, this one who walks and stands and sits in the things of the world, the contrast is the man who delights in the law of the Lord and meditates on God's law day and night. What does it mean to delight in something? Right, like this is a word we kind of uh, throw around a lot. We all sort of know it. Um, but uh, but uh, I, was, I was thinking about this and like, my son Ford loves trains. Like he loves trains. 
Um, and every time that we go to read a book or we watch one of his shows, he, he will start to say choo-choo like over and over again, like choo-choo, choo-choo, choo-choo. Just nonstop talking about choo-choo. And he will say it until you either put on like Chuggington or Thomas the Train or until you sit down and you read a book about trains with him. And oftentimes you have to read that book like seven or eight or nine times. And then, and then if, you've ever been, uh, if you've ever been in our house, you know we live like six inches from a railroad track. And so every time that train comes by, he says, he's, he says Dad, choo-choo. And he runs to the window and he stares at it. And we're sitting there at dinner tonight and the train comes by and he just sits in his seat and just looks out the window. And he's like, Dad, look at the train, choo-choo. You know. Every morning he gets up, he runs to the back room and he gets out his little wooden toy train and he, and he, and he builds it. And then he brings me to the back and says, come, come and look at this. Choo-choo. Because what he's saying is, this is the thing that my heart loves. This is the thing that I want the world to know that my heart loves. And this is the thing that I want you to experience with me. And that's what delighting in something is. That you find something that captures your imagination. It captures your heart. And you want other people to see it the way that you do. And, it's, and it's, it's one of those things that you can't define what delight is, but you know it when you're doing it. You know it as it's happening. And so the one who delights in the law of the Lord, and the law of the Lord is shorthand just for the Bible. Um, and the psalmist would have, would have meant that as the first five books of the Bible, but it's not a stretch at all for us to say that it applies to the whole of Scripture and all the gifts that God gives us. The one who delights in the law of the Lord is the one who is captivated by him. The one who sees his goodness and sees his beauty. And so how do you know this? How do you know if you're delighting in the law of God or in the way of the wicked? And I think the simple question is, is what, what validates me? When I, when I put my head on my pillow and I allow myself to, to think for a few minutes before I go to sleep, and even, I know that's even a stretch because we don't always do that. But when I put my head on my pillow and I think back on my day, like what validates me? What made me feel loved or cared for or worthy? See, nobody, nobody wakes up uh, just one day and says, hey, I'm going to go and like, I'm going to go and like cheat on this test. Or I'm going to go and like steal a bunch of money or I'm going to go and like commit adultery. Like nobody wakes up with that goal in mind. But it's that thing that when your heart is set on something, when your heart is set on the approval of your parents, and you know that when you get those grades and they're straight A's, and that's how they really validate you, it's like, yeah, I feel kind of bad about it, but like, I'll copy somebody else's answers. I'll turn in somebody else's paper with the name switch or the words change up a little bit. Or if your validation is being thought of as, as beautiful and valuable, and you know, you're in a, you know, you're married or whatever. And you're like, Hey, I'm going to like, this is, this is what drives me. And like this other person who's not my spouse validates these things in me. And it starts to capture your imagination. And all of a sudden there you are. If your ultimate goal in life is this affirmation is these different things, then, then that's what you're going to pursue. See, whatever your heart or brain is set on is what you will pursue at basically any expense. And the Bible is telling us that that's either going to lead to life or death. So with that said, what do you delight in? 
What are the things that capture your imagination? What are the things that validate you? And there are two, then the, then the psalm in, in uh, verses three and four, the psalmist gives us two pictures of these paths. There's two different images, uh, a tree and chaff. And I love it when the Bible illustrates stuff because it makes my job much easier because I don't have to like come up with stuff or I could just do what it says, right? The, the light that delights in the law of the Lord is the tree that's planted by streams of water. It yields fruit and it does not wither. This life has roots, it has nourishment, and it is productive. It is constant. And the life that doesn't is like chaff. What is chaff? I have no idea. I have no clue. I'm assuming it's the opposite of a rooted tree. What'd you say, James? I do. Okay, well, I'm going to... I hope that recording picked that up. Um, no, one of my uh, one of my pastor friends described it as like it's like that. Uh, like, have you ever like cracked open like a peanut, and then there's like like you open the peanut, and then there's that like nasty like red papery stuff that like it doesn't. It just kind of ruins the whole experience of eating the peanut. You've got to get it off, but then when you throw it, just blows away in the wind. That's what he compared chaff to. Um, so yeah. Anyway, some of you, I'm sure, have a better understanding of that. But, but, but the point is that chaff is weightless, it is useless, and it is pointless. And, and when the wind blows, it carries it away. And so, look, this does not mean that the blessed life is necessarily the happy life. Because in a few weeks, we're going to look at a lament psalm. And, and, and the lament psalms make up a huge chunk of the Psalter. Like a third of the Psalms are God's people crying out to God about how, how hard life is. So this doesn't mean that the blessed life is the life that is easy. And this is not an invitation for you to avoid grief, sadness, anger, guilt, shame, all that other stuff. But it's an invitation to live a life that's not destroyed by these things. That when they come, you are rooted You are deep, you are constant, you are connected to God in a way that is nourishing you and growing you so that when those things come, they don't destroy you. So what are you rooted in? What do you delight in? It's the same question we asked a second ago. You know, what what validates you? And more importantly, what happens when the things that validate you don't happen the way that you want them to? If you're validated by straight A's, what happens when you fail a test? If you're validated by your friend's approval, what happens when you get crossed with one of them and you just can't seem to make it right? If you're validated by your ability to just absolutely crush it in your quiet times, what happens when you forget to read your Bible for two weeks in a row? What happens when the things that validate you don't go the way you want them to? What if, what, if you, what, if, what if you feel validated by your like, deep emotional connection to your spirituality and even, even 15 minutes ago as you were singing these songs, you just absolutely faked it? Where are you right now? See, storms in life come and they're hard. But one of the most incredible things that I've ever seen, um, and some of you are going to understand this as soon as I say it, but some of the most incredible things that I've ever seen are the oak trees in New Orleans. Because they have these 
deep and wide in these just absolutely like gnarly like root systems. And, and, and they're old. And it's notable that they're old because about 20 years ago, there was a storm that came through. Hurricane Katrina that destroyed big chunks of the city. And you know what's still standing? Those oak trees. They weathered the storm. And the trees held. And that's the blessed life. The blessed life is rooted, it is thriving, and it is productive. And when the storms come, when the things that validate us don't go the way that we want them to, it doesn't mean they don't hurt. It doesn't mean that they're not hard. But it does mean that they don't destroy us because we're rooted in something. And then there's the two destinations. And um, this one's sort of an easy one. Verses 5 and 6 are fairly obvious. right? One path leads to life and the other one leads to death. So what do we do with all this? It would be really easy to stand up here and say, hey, do better. Like, every one of you, go read your Bible more. Like, feel bad about how little you've read your Bible. Like, go do it more, right? Um, go pray more. Think about God more. Uh, stop all the things that are bad for you. Evangelize more, whatever. I, I, could, I could rattle off a list of things for you to go and to do more. And all of those things are good advice. Like, in a, in a not, like, legalistic, judgy way, like, please do those things more, right? Like, they're good for you. Do them. But here's the thing about good advice. I've said this a million times. Good advice is just bad news if that's all that it is. Because all it is is the encouragement that you can somehow go out and you can fix yourself. But here's the question. If what we've just read is true, and it is, it leads us to this. If this is the way of blessing, who can ever do this? Who can ever avoid the temptation of the world and can actually delight in the law of God all the time? Who can meditate on the word of God day and night? And the second I tell you to do that, your question is, and probably should be, yeah, okay, but how? How do I do this? Here's how. You can't. And it doesn't matter how hard you try, you won't be able to. Because Psalm 1 is an invitation to wisdom, but Psalm 1 also convicts us in our ability to be wise. Even our best intentions are often steeped in this counsel of the wicked, which in turn shapes our actions into the way of sinners, and at times has even sat us directly in the seat of scoffers. We haven't taken the first steps of righteousness as long as we think we can do these things ourselves. So where's the hope in all this? Um, there was a Bible teacher named Joseph Flax who once visited the Middle East, and he had the opportunity to, to gather uh, to address a gathering of Jewish and Arab leaders. And he read them Psalm 1, and he asked, Who is this blessed man of whom the psalmist speaks? This man never walked in the counsel of the wicked, or stood in the way of sinners, or sat in the seat of scoffers. He was absolutely a sinless man. And nobody spoke, so Flax asked, uh, Was he our great father Abraham? And an older man said, no, it can't be Abraham. He denied his wife and told a lie about her. I said, well, what about the lawgiver Moses? And Flax asked again, no, someone said, it cannot be Moses. He killed a man and he lost his temper by the waters of Meribah. Flax then suggested David, but it could not be the adulterer and murder David either. There was a silence for a long while. And then an elderly Jew arose and said, my brothers, I have a little book here. And it's called the New Testament. 
I've been reading it. And if I could believe this book, if I could be sure that it is true, I would say that the man of the first Psalm was Jesus of Nazareth. And this is the good news of this Psalm is that you and I could never do what it requires, but there is one who did that Jesus Christ went to the cross for us after living this life perfectly after living this life of never taking the counsel of the wicked, never sitting in the seat of scoffers, always delighting in the law of the Lord, and, and died for us. But Hebrews 12 tells us that he did this for the joy that was set before him. And that word, uh, that word joy is the same word delight that we've been talking about. And it always reminds me of the movie, uh, the movie Hook. Um, Came out in 1991. It's pretty old, but it's a great movie. Robin Williams plays Peter Banning, who was formerly known as Peter Pan. And he, and, he, and, he, and he goes out into the real world. He leaves Neverland behind. And Captain Hook comes and, and, and kidnaps his kids. And so he's got to go back to Neverland to save them. And when he gets there, he realizes that like nobody else is aged, but he's an old man. He's lost his magical ability. He can't, he can't fly. And, and Captain Hook is just mocking him constantly. Like, this is the great Peter Pan. This is the one that you look up to. And the whole time Tinkerbell, who's played by Julia Roberts, uh, is, is trying to get Peter to recover his happy thought. That if he can recover his happy thought, then he will be able to get his, uh, he'll be able to get his Peter Pan powers and he finally does. And so they go, they go to Hook's ship and they go to fight Captain Hook to, to free Peter's children. And in the middle of the battle, Peter's flying around like doing sword fighting and all that stuff. In the middle of the battle, he flies up to his son, Jack. He says, you know what my happy thought was, Jack? He says, it was you. And it sounds so cheesy to say But when Christ was on the cross, his happy thought was you. That he was willing to go to death because he delighted in you. Because he saw your face and he knew your name. You see, the Psalms use this word delight in two ways. One is calling us to do this, to delight in the law of the Lord. But in Psalm 18, it tells us that the Lord rescued me because he delighted in me. That God saved you because he loves you and he takes joy in you. And so the life of wisdom is giving yourself to the only one who could stand in the judgment. Who could stand up to the judgment, but willingly did not. To the one who hung on a tree, withered and died, despite being the living water himself. To the one who knows you and invites you to know him. That's the good news of Psalm 1. Consider that invitation. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. Um, We thank you that you have chosen to reveal yourself to us in Psalm. And Lord, we thank you that this Psalm invites us to live a life of wisdom that sees you as the one who has done these things perfectly. So Lord, I pray for my friends tonight that uh, maybe they've known you and, um, and loved you and trusted you for a while and uh, are, are just tired. We're just kind of exhausted as we all are. Um, Lord, I, I, I pray that they would 
uh, be able to take joy and delight in these things that you have promised us that you've done for us. And Lord, maybe those of us who find ourselves doing these things of walking in the ways of the wicked or standing in the door of the sinners or sitting with the scoffers, Lord, that you would help us then to see um, who you are and what it is that you've done for us. Lord, would you do these things tonight? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.